and eating customs. And then, and then we we finally uh, managed to get on the plane. We we got back uh, to to Paris, and then we were like, well, where do our bikes actually come? So we went to you know that like conveyor belt bit at airports where like suitcase bikes. So we go there, and I'm looking at like, oh, our bikes really going to come down that conveyor belt? A, I'm not sure they're going to fit. And B, I'm not sure how good it would be for a bike to just like crash into the bottom of that. So, so I go and ask a guy, I'm like, where's our, where are our bikes actually going to come? Uh, and he says, oh, no, they're not going to come down there. They're going to come over there. So I go down there and I ask another guy and he's like, oh, no, they're not going to come here, mate. They're going to come out in oversized baggage. So you need to like go out, walk past all the check-ins and go and see oversized baggage. So I walk out, go past all the check-ins, go and talk to oversized baggage. He's like, oh, no, they're going to come down the conveyor belt, mate. And I'm like... I can't get back in there now because I've like walked out of the airport. So how do I get them back? So I go talk to a woman. I'm like, what do we do about this? And she's like, well, she makes like a few phone calls. I've arranged for someone to bring your bike out of the airport to you. So you're just going to have to sit there and wait. So we sit there waiting for our bikes to arrive. Like hours later, our bikes still haven't arrived. And it turns out they never even made it onto the plane. Um, so, so they were still in Paris. Um, and we just waited for hours for bikes that were, were never actually going to turn up. You see, that was difficult. Now, that was difficult because of the incompetence of other people, probably some of the incompetence of ourselves uh, as well, and, and languishing. But, but, but that's a different kind of difficult. It's not physically tiring. It's just a little bit stressful and annoying, and you feel like, how do I, how do I solve this problem? But, but those things are difficult. But then there's times in life where you have to make some difficult choices. So I, I often look back on the time when... I, um, when I, so I, when I was first in Hartlepool, I was working full time for church. And that time where I decided that I was going to leave church work, move out of church work, go find a different job, like that felt like a difficult decision to make. Because at that point, I'd imagined that my life just looked like me doing church work for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, four years into it, I was like, actually, my life doesn't look like that. So what am I going to do now? And that felt like a, a difficult decision to make. You might look back on your life and think, oh, there were some decisions that just felt really hard to, to make at those points in my life. Uh, and then, then you've got difficult things that are difficult because they're relationally difficult. So when we came to Plant Grace Church, um, that meant for us moving up to Hartlepool from Leeds. Uh, and we loved our time in Leeds. We had good friends in Leeds. We, some of our closest friends had bought the house next door to us. Like we literally shared a wall with them. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're moving away from that. And that feels hard because you feel the tear of those relationships. I loved having uh, Tom and even their kids living next door to us. I loved being part of the church down there. And that felt difficult to do, to kind of tear yourself away from those people who had invested in you and who you'd invested in. And Rory was talking a bit earlier about difficult conversations. Some of you may look back on your life and look on some really hard conversations you've had. Like some, some conversations which have just, you've been terrified about, you've lost endless sleep uh, thinking about them. Now, now, the reason why I want us to start by thinking about what are those difficult things that we have to do is because that, I think, lies at the heart of this passage. If you're going to understand what's going on in this passage, if you're going to understand what's going on between God and Moses in this burning bush, you have to understand what, what it is that God is calling Moses to do. And what God is calling Moses to do is about the most difficult thing imaginable. Like some of you will have had really difficult things. Some of you, as I'm talking about my minor trials with airport security, will be like, you've lived too easy a life. Like you need to know what difficult actually is. But 
But put yourself in Moses's shoes here. This is what God's saying to Moses that he needs to do. He said, you need to go back to the country which you fled from because they were going to kill you. Okay, you need to go back to that country. And, and more than that, I want you to go back. And the job I'm going to give you of do, to do is to rescue the Israelites who are currently slaves to the world superpower. Okay, I want you to take those slaves, free them, and bring them out of that country. He's going to be asked to go march up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, as far as Moses was concerned at that time. And he's going to be asked to go march up to Pharaoh and say, I want you to free all your slaves, let them go, so that they can leave and go and worship God. Uh, a few weeks ago, someone was pointing out that um, to, to just get some sense of how, what a cool, powerful kind of person Pharaoh was, you could, you could make that comparison with someone like Hitler. So, so just to take that, that image on, it's a bit like asking a Jew to march up to Hitler and insist that he release all the Jews from their concentration camps. Like, that's the sort of equivalent we're talking about that Moses is being asked to do here. I mean, not only does it seem incredibly unlikely to succeed, like you think, that's probably not going to work, but also, it's bordering on suicidal. Like, like it, not only is it unlikely to result in the freedom of the Israelite people, it's also quite likely to result in your death. That is what God is asking Moses to do here. So when he says, which was the, the last verse that we read, that he is sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, that is what God is asking Moses to do. Now, now for most of today, what I want us to think about is how do we respond when God asks us to do difficult things? That's the question I'm going to ask you. That's the thing I'm going to encourage you to think about uh, this afternoon. But before we get there, I just want to pause to reflect on what this passage teaches about God and the kind of things he asks us to do. Because I want us to just start by recognising sometimes God will ask you to do something that's difficult. Sometimes God will come to you and he will call on you to do something that seems incredibly hard, maybe that you even don't want to do. You see, there's a popular view in our society that God would never call us to do something that wasn't easy or that we didn't want to do. People justify all kinds of things by saying slightly random things like, if God really loved me, he wouldn't want me to go without that thing. Or, if God really loved me, he wouldn't want me to reject that relationship. Or, or if God really loved me, he wouldn't want me to do something that looks so hard. People say these kind of things all the time. It's a justification for a whole load of things. People justify their divorces by saying, God wouldn't want me to stay in a marriage which doesn't make me happy. People justify laziness by saying, God wouldn't want to burden me with things. People justify inappropriate relationships by saying, God just wants me to be happy. People justify sex outside marriage by saying, God wouldn't want me to miss out on this thing. And I just want to be clear, that, that kind of view of God 
is a fiction created by a society which is obsessed by being able to do whatever we feel like. And that's, that, that view of God has much more to do with the society we live in than anything the Bible says. Because the God of the Bible repeatedly calls people to do hard things. Like just read through the Bible, you'll see it again and again. As you read the stories of the Bible, the God of the Bible calls people to do difficult, even scary things. He calls Moses to march up to Pharaoh and tell him to free his Israelite slaves. Even, even in our lives, there's so many things God will call us to do, which will not be easy. He calls us to be self-controlled. Not simply go with the crowd or with, or with what we feel like doing. He calls on people to work on their relationships, not just abandon them. He calls on us to obey him, even when that's unpopular or even in some cases when that's illegal. Like God will sometimes call us to do difficult things. I, and I just want you to think today, is there something difficult that God is calling you to do? That like, is God here today calling you to do something which you look at and think, I want to do that. That seems scary and hard and too much for me. But for some of you, God might be calling you here today to follow him and come to know him for the first time. Like that, that might be what's going on right here today. He might be calling you to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his death and commit to following him with your life. If you haven't done that, so if you've never come to know the forgiveness that Jesus offers you, then God is definitely calling you to that today. Like he is, he's calling you to do that, to, to accept that forgiveness, to come to know him, to follow him. But he's not, when he calls you to do that, he's not saying that will be an easy thing for you to do. That would be a hard thing for you to do. It's hard to accept that you are a sinful person who needs forgiveness. We don't want to acknowledge that. We don't want to think like that. That's a hard thing to accept. It's hard to commit to following Jesus when there's areas of your life that you don't want to follow him in. It's hard to identify as one of his people when you know that that's going to impact so many of your relationships, maybe relationships with family or friends. Maybe, maybe today, the hard thing God is calling you to do is to actually come to know him, accept him, find the forgiveness he offers, be welcomed into his family for the first time. But it might not be that. For some of you, God might be calling you to obey him in an area which you really struggle to obey him. He could be telling you and calling you to start controlling your temper or to shake a porn habit or to stop lying, or to stop getting drunk, or to stop overworking. Again, God's calling you to those things, but he's not saying that they're easy. That's not what he's saying. Habits are hard to shake. Sin always feels so appealing at the time. Self-control is hard, but God is still calling you to that thing. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe for some of you, God's calling you to work on a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship in your life you've given up on. You've just written off. you said, it's too hard. I can't keep going with it. 
And maybe God is calling you to have a conversation with that person that you've been putting off for days or weeks or months or even years. Maybe God is calling you to grow in patience. Maybe God is calling you to forgive someone that you've never been able to forgive. Again, all of those things are really hard to do. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't call you to them. Because God calls us to difficult things. You see, this is, this is, I think, the confusion we sometimes make. God never calls us to anything that isn't good. That is true. Everything that God calls you to, whether that's coming to know him, whether that's obeying him in an area of life, whether that's working on relationships, all of those things are good things. They are good for you. They are good for other people. They are good for the world that you live in. Everything God calls you to is good. But that's not the same as saying everything that God calls me to will be easy and I will immediately want to do. They're two different things. Accepting the forgiveness Jesus offers is hard, but it's also the best, most life-giving thing that you can do. Obeying God is often hard, but it's also the path to becoming the person that God created you to be. Working on relationships is hard, but it's also the only way to build the kind of relationships that you long for. We mustn't confuse the fact that God only asks us to do things which are good with the fact that some of those things might still be incredibly difficult and really scary. That was Moses' situation. God calls him to do something which is incredibly hard and extremely scary. And as I said a few minutes ago, what I really want us to think about is how do we respond when we hear God calling us to do those things? How do we respond when the things God's calling us to do are hard? when they feel too much, when they slightly terrify us, or completely terrify us. I wonder wonder how you tend to respond when faced with difficult things. I mean, are you you the sort of, are you a bit of an ostrich about those things? Are you the kind of like, bury my head in the sand, hope it goes away, maybe when I pull my head out, the scary thing will have disappeared, and I won't have to deal with it anymore. I'm definitely like that with some things. So, you know, I, I hate having to ring anyone, especially workmen. So, so I basically just put it off. I just, like, I, just, I just refuse to do it, just hoping, which is why I've got scaffolding up in my house for like nine months and still my roof isn't fixed. Um, you know, it's, it's that thing of, like, I just, I just hate ringing workmen. And so I just put it off. I just like, head in sand, it'll sort itself out. Somehow my roof will miraculously get fixed and it'll all be okay. Like, may, maybe that's how you deal with difficult things. Maybe you're the classic sort of procrastinator, avoider, just don't want to face it. Maybe you're more the kind of roll your sleeves up, let's get on with this kind of approach to things. You know, something looks hard, so you get down a piece of paper and you write out your plan of this is how I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to bring these 14 builders, and you know, and I'm going to, this is what I'm going to say, this is how I'm going to do it, so I'm going to make this happen. Maybe you're kind of more of the activist when it comes to how you respond to difficult things. Maybe this is the other thing that I tend to do. Um, I think this is partly why I do the ostrich thing. Um, maybe it's you're the kind of, let's see if someone else will do it kind of person. Like, I kind of hope that if I don't do it, maybe Sarah will. So I'm like, if I just don't make these phone calls, eventually Sarah will crumble and she'll do it. Um, and so maybe that's how you approach difficult things. You think, if I, don't, if I could just avoid it, maybe I'll be able to convince someone else to, to do this hard thing, thing for me. 
I don't know, you'll, you'll know yourself better than, better than I do. Like, how do you respond when you're faced with difficult things? What do you do about that? Let's look at what um, Moses says. If you've got a Bible, it'd be really helpful for you to have it open. I'm going to read the next page of this. So from chapter 3, verse 11 to 417. And we're going to see Moses' response to it. So, so let's see what Moses says. So God has just said to him, he's just told him what it is he's calling him to do. To go to Pharaoh, bring the people, his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God's told him what he wants. This is Moses' response. Let's see. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring these lights out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it becomes white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, so that you can perform the signs with it. I don't know how you feel as you hear Moses there, but I, 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 I love Moses' response in this section. 
Um, because it's just, it's just so relatable too, isn't it? He, he basically tries to find any excuse he can find to get out of doing what God's called him to do. Just to run through these excuses, uh, the excuses he tries. He starts with, I'm not the right man for the job. So, so he starts by saying, who am I that I should do that? Like, I think you've got the wrong guy, God. Like, do you, did you mean someone else? Like, was I just the wrong place at the wrong time and somehow I got, got stuck with this job where you implanted someone else? He starts by saying, I'm just, I'm just not the right man for it. And then he moves on to his second excuse is, the Israelites are never going to accept me. You send me to these people to rescue them, but they're not going to accept me. They're not going to know who I am. They're not going to want to, to hear from me. And, and then, then he moves on from saying, from saying that to saying, basically, I'm not up to the job. So you, you see, he, he says, look, I can't do it. I'm not very eloquent. Surely if you're sending someone to talk to Pharaoh, you want someone who's good with those word things. Uh, and so, so he, he sends, he says, I'm just not up to it. Why would you pick me for this job? I'm just, I'm obviously the wrong choice. Now, the reason why this is so relatable is, isn't this what we all try and do when faced with something hard that we don't want to do? Don't we all try to run through all the reasons why we shouldn't do that thing? All the reasons why God must have got it wrong. Someone, someone needs someone to get alongside them to help them through a difficult time. But we tell ourselves, oh, someone else would be better suited for that than me. I'm just not the right person, am I? God wouldn't want me to do that. He'd want someone else to do it. A job needs doing. And we tell ourselves, oh, but they wouldn't want me to do it. Like, if that job needs doing, they'd prefer someone else to do that rather than me. A difficult conversation needs having. What do we do? We convince ourselves, oh, but I couldn't have that conversation. I'm just, I'm, I just wouldn't have the right words to say. I'd get it all wrong. I'd get all in the muddle. I'd say, I'd say exactly the wrong thing at exactly the wrong time. It would all go wrong. We know we should stop doing something God tells us not to. But we tell ourselves, I'm just not strong enough to resist that thing. We, keep, we hear God calling us to take difficult steps in our marriage, but we tell ourselves, it wouldn't work. Our spouse just wouldn't respond to it. They just wouldn't be interested. It wouldn't go anywhere. This is, this is the reality. We are masters at finding excuses not to do the things that we don't want to do. We're really, really good at it. But here's a question that I think this passage forces you to ask. Are the things that God's calling you to do are they really more difficult than what God's calling Moses to do here? Like, look at those things in your life that you look at and just think, I just don't want to do that. I don't think I'm the right person. I don't think I could do it. Are they really harder than this? Are they really any less likely to succeed than Moses marching up to Pharaoh and saying, would you mind just letting all your slaves go in, please? See, we're, we're so good at finding excuses. But just like Moses, the excuses are just there to help us justify the real issue. And the real issue is we don't want to do it. I, I, I love it when he gets to verse 13, because it's just so revealing. 
chapter 4, verse 13, Moses has finally run out of excuses, and so he comes clean. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. It's amazing how many excuses we can find to not do the things we don't want to do, and how quickly those excuses disappear when we do want to do it. But I think, it's, I think it's worth us noting God's response in verse 14. Moses has come up with all these excuses, five different excuses he's come back to God with. Finally, he said, look, I just don't want to do it. Just send someone else, please. Verse 14 says this. It says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. You see, Moses' response seems so relatable to do to us. He does what we all do. He tries to find a way out of doing something which he doesn't want to do. But here's the truth of it. Refusing to do what God calls you to do is still rebellion, no matter how carefully you justify it, no matter how many excuses you come up with, and no matter how politely you refuse. I love how politely Moses does it. He's like, please, sir, would you, would you possibly send someone else? He's like, if I just asked really nicely... Maybe God will respond. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how many excuses you come up with or how nicely you refuse to do what God uh, calls you to do. A refusal to obey God is still sin. It's still bad for us. It's still bad for the world we live in, even if obeying looks like it would be hard. You might be scared of doing something that God calls you to do. You might be scared about how people will respond, scared for your relationship, scared for what it will mean for the rest of your life. And I understand that. I understand how being scared makes it really hard to do things. I understand how debilitating fear can be. How when we're scared of something, we can just feel like we can't do the things that we feel like we should. I understand that. But just because I can understand why you might do that doesn't make you refusing to obey God any less sinful and doesn't make obeying God any less both the right thing to do and the best thing you could do. You might feel too weak to do what God calls you to do. I, I understand that. There's some things in my life which I look at and I just think, I just, I, I haven't ever been able to fight that thing. I haven't ever been able to combat that thing. I haven't ever been able to address that thing. I understand how that paralyzes us, how that might prevent us from even starting or even trying. But a failure to obey God in that area is still sinful and still the worst thing you can do in that situation. Just because obeying God is sometimes hard doesn't make disobeying him any less sinful or any less bad for us or any less bad for the people around us and the world he placed us in. You see, sometimes God calls us to do difficult things. And sometimes it's really hard to do those things and we're really scared by them and we don't want to do them, but God still calls us to them. However, although God is still absolutely insistent that Moses do this thing, he doesn't simply say to Moses, oh, look, just stop making excuses and get on with it, will you? Like, that's not how God deals with Moses here. He, every objection that Moses raises, God answers. 
God hears him and he responds to each one of them. And actually, when you look through Moses' objection, all of his objections are primarily because he's focusing too much on himself. And so all of God's responses are calling him to focus more on who God is. Look, look at this. You'll, you'll see it if you go through his complaints. These are the kind of things he says. Who am I that I should go? Or what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Or I have never been eloquent. All of Moses' com- uh, objections are about himself. He's so focused on himself and what he can do and what he's able to do on the person that he is. And all of God's responses are about who God is. This is how God responds to him. I will be with you. I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed towards this people. I will help you speak. God's response to each of Moses' objections is to remind him what kind of God he is. God tells him, this is who I am and this is what I am going to do. That's how God responds to Moses' objections. You see, yes, God calls Moses to do a difficult thing. But what Moses has to understand is that it's not so much what Moses is going to be doing, but what God is going to do through Moses. God calls Moses to do this, and then he equips Moses to do it. That's always the way. God never calls us to do anything he doesn't also equip you to do. The reason your battle with porn is not a hopeless one is because God has given you his spirit. God has given you a new way of understanding other people and yourself and sex. And so it's a battle that he can win in and through you. The reason your marriage is not beyond hope is not because of how eloquent you can be or how understanding your spouse is or how long your history is of being able to work so well through issues. It's because God is working in and through you and he will equip you to do what needs to be done. The reason you don't have to accept that you'll always just blow hot and cold with God and with church is not because of how consistent and self-disciplined you can be, but because God can transform you to see him more clearly and to grow in your commitment to his people. The reason you can forgive that person is not because of your warm and gracious character, but because God has forgiven you and he will use your experience of his forgiveness to enable you to forgive other people. When faced with difficult things, when obeying or following God feels scary or even impossible, we just need to learn what Moses needed to learn here. That what matters is not our own strength, not our own abilities, but the strength and the character and the abilities of the God who is calling us to do it. And that God will be with us every step of the way, equipping us, empowering us, to walk the path that he set before us. I want to, as we, as we start reflecting on this, I started today by saying, my prayer is that God will speak to each one of us here. And it might be that as I've spoken, God has brought to your mind some area of your life where you need to obey what God's calling you to do. For for some of you, 
it might be that God's calling you to know him and accept him and follow him and come into his family. And you just need to spend a bit of time just doing that now. Some of you might have been convicted about areas of disobedience in your life. As you've sat here, you've just felt guilty about things you haven't done. And you just need to spend some time finding forgiveness at the cross for those things. Some of you might have been convicted about an area you need to obey in. And you just need to work through that. Here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going uh, uh, to spend a few minutes, I'm going to play uh, a song, a song that we're going to sing in, in a few minutes. We're going we're gonna to play a song. And during that time, um, I'm going to invite those of you who do know Jesus, who've come to uh, know the forgiveness that he won for you at the cross. I'm going to encourage uh, you guys to come to the front and take communion. So the way we do it here is there's um, some little bits of bread that are gluten-free, so um, take a bit of bread, take a little uh, glass of grape juice um, and eat the bread. Drink the grape juice and remember what Christ did to win your forgiveness. As you, as you reflect on those areas where you haven't obeyed God, find forgiveness and, and recognise that as you take communion. As you sit there recognising that you've never accepted Jesus for the first time, then accept him now and then show that by coming to the front and taking the bread and grape juice. If that's not you, if you're not someone who knows that forgiveness, please don't take it. This is just for people who do know that. Um, but if that is you, we'd love you to take in that. Um, and as we do that, while the song plays, I'm going to encourage you to just do some, do some work with God. Think about what it is that he's calling you to. Maybe that thing that you're too scared to do or that seems too hard for you to do. Spend some time laying that before God, asking him to equip you and empower you to obey him in that area of your life. If, if, as you've been convicted about that, you'd really like the opportunity to talk to someone about that or pray with someone about that, there'll be a few people um, just stood at the back. Um, and by all means, as the music plays, go and stand with one of those guys and they'd love to pray with you and, and chat through any of that with you as it, as it plays. Um, if, if no one wants to do that, that's absolutely fine. They can reflect by themselves in the back. You guys can reflect by yourselves in the, in the seat. That's absolutely fine. But if that would be helpful, if either you've decided that you want to come to know Jesus for the first time, or if there's just an area of your life where you've been struggling to obey and you've been convicted, uh, I'd encourage you to just go to the back and pray with someone there. So uh, we'll play the music now. When you're ready, uh, come up and uh, take communion if you want to. Uh, and as I say, uh, work through some of that stuff between yourself and God or always some of the guys uh, at the back. Uh, so.